Well, returning to Mark's gospel, if you would turn to Mark chapter 8. I am going to read verses 27 through 33. But this passage will not be completely addressed this Lord's Day. We're going to be focusing this morning on the confession of Peter. And so next Lord's Day, we will also continue to look at this passage as well. Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 33, listen carefully to the infallible, inerrant word of God. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind on the thing, or you are not setting your mind upon the things of God, but on the things of man. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, you know our hearts. Is the passage before us and our response being shaped by men or by God? We ask, O oh Lord, that you would Continue to establish in us, your children, a true confession of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that we would understand its comprehensive meaning in terms of even the cosmos for ourselves. In Christ's name, amen. Have you ever asked a person, who is Jesus Christ? Or who do you think Jesus is? Or can you present to me the identity of Jesus? 
Well, this is the gospel of the evangelist. The gospel of good news to the world drenched in sin. Soaked with evil at every turn. Up until our text this morning... Mark has not hid his reader from the profound hostility of the world against the perfect Son of God. A world who despises a holy, righteous, selfless servant of goodness who is able to transform soul and body into a new creature. Oh yes, congregation, the way Mark has arranged his edition of the life of our Savior, you can sense that we have arrived at the point when the evangelist Mark is going to get extremely personal and direct with his reader. There are no more excuses as we come into our text. There is no more time to say that I am not hearing what Jesus is saying. There is no more time to say that I am not understanding what Jesus is preaching and teaching. There is no more time To say that I am not able to speak fluently with my own tongue about the ministry of Jesus. There is no more time to say. There's no more time to say that I am not seeing into the serious spiritual eternal significance of the good news of Jesus' sovereign kingdom. At this point of the narrative, the reader, you who have been following the text carefully, should be ready to answer the question that Jesus poses to his disciples. Who do you say that I am? Are you hearing the question? Understanding the question? Can you fluently provide a precise and true answer to the question that sees its eternal significance for the church, for yourself, and the world? Are you able, with the confidence of Mark's portrayal of Jesus, to ask the evangelistic question to a hostile world of sin and evil. Who do you say Jesus is? Many of us, even within this congregation, have been asking for prayers concerning unbelieving relatives, family members. Maybe this is the question you sit and ask them just simply this. Who do you say Jesus is? See how they answer. See if that starts a profitable discussion. Well, as I mentioned in our last message in Mark, 
We are now entering into a transition point in his Gospels. Scholars say that chapter 8 verses 27 through 33 is Mark's watershed text. The opening section of his Gospel from chapter 1 verse 1 through chapter 8 verse 26 has reached its climax here in the text that we read this morning. Whereas in chapter 8, verses 27 through 33, our text also points in a new direction, in a new direction in his gospel. So first of all this morning, let us look, how is it a climax? How are we in the state of the climax of Mark's gospel from chapter 1, verse 1 through 8, 26? If I can ask you, go back to chapter 1, verse 1. And the clear premise of Mark's gospel. He writes... The beginning of the gospel, good news. That is the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is writing an evangelistic message of salvation to a sinful world which is centered upon the Christ of God, the anointed Messiah who is the sole creator of heaven and earth. Oh yes, he is the Son of God. From chapter 1, verse 1 through 8:26, we will not read from Mark's pen a precise statement that Jesus is identified as Jesus, as Jesus Christ. Did you hear what I just said? <laughs> Did you hear what I just said? Let me make it more precise. After chapter 1, verse 1, Mark never uses the term Christ, Messiah, again prior to the opening verse of our text this morning in 827. The term Christ does not even appear upon any of the lips that you may expect in this opening section. Those who have been healed. Those who have demons cast out of them. Those who are impressed with his preaching and teaching. Those who observe his supernatural acts. Those who act with saving faith in Jesus. And even from the lips of the demons cast out by Jesus. The first time the term Christ appears after chapter 1 verse 1 is upon the lips of a disciple in chapter 8, 29. We have been waiting to hear from a mouth of a human the affirmation that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. 
This confession is not a coincidence by our author Mark. You recall that when Jesus appeared to the twelve, Mark alone refers to them with the term apostles in chapter 3, verse 14. These twelve are not only the pupils, the disciples of their teacher Jesus, but they are the ones specially chosen to be apostles, those who will be sent out to proclaim the good news to rebellious Israel and the sinful world embodied in the nations. In this first section of his gospel, Mark has made it clear to us that although the future apostles remain at the side of Jesus by God's providence, they do not understand the true identity of Jesus in his ministry. In fact, up to this point, we have hammered again and again, as Mark hammers this point home, that they lack faith and have hard hearts. Moreover, their lives and the path on which they are to embark by God's grace is revealed in our previous text in the healing of the blind man. You remember that two weeks ago. We are to note in the blind man the disciples' own blindness. But as Jesus touches the blind man twice, To be able to see things clearly so it will be that the disciples will go through two points of spiritual transformation and growth. To come to understand the full impact of the person and work of Jesus. First, they will slowly begin to see and grasp somewhat Jesus' identity up until his death, resurrection, and ascension. And then secondly, they will come under the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit after Pentecost so that they will see clearly the full truth of Jesus' person, work, and ministry as they, Jesus' apostles, Take the good news as apostles into the world. Meanwhile, to repeat, at the point of entering our text this morning, the disciples are strongly portrayed as 12 men who lack faith, have hard hearts, cannot hear, understand, And see Jesus as he truly is. And then, and then, in our text this morning, the bombshell, the bombshell. Out of nowhere comes a most shocking, powerful confession from the lips of Peter. A confession not heard from any human voice 
so far in Mark's gospel, a fluent and precise statement of potent redemptive sweetness to our wandering souls. You are the Christ. You are the Christ. The mute voices of the disciples are finally no longer silent concerning the person with whom they are companions. So to grasp, to grasp the full impact of Peter's confession, we must turn our attention now to our second observation about this text in 8 27 through 33, that is that our text points us in a new direction now, in a new direction in Mark's gospel. First note this new direction in the following phrase in verse 27, Jesus went on with his disciples. From this point forward, In Mark's gospel, Mark will focus more directly upon the relationship between Jesus and his disciples in the areas of teaching and discipleship. The focus now, going forward, will be more upon the relationship between Jesus and his disciples teaching and instructing them. Well, then secondly, it is also significant that they are making their way to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was the capital of this Roman region and the residence of Herod Philip. The main city was located at the source of the Jordan River and on the slopes of Mount Hermon, a region known for its beauty and its green countryside. Now the phrase, on the way, in verse 29, also stands out if you look at that in verse 29 and demands our attention. Why is this phrase on the way so important for us to note in terms of Mark's transition, Mark's new direction here in his gospel? Can I ask you, if you wish, go back to chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Mark's opening words after his premise in 1-1 about Jesus' identity in his gospel. Mark quotes from Isaiah about John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that the voice of the Baptist, notice his voice, is it mute, will be heard in the wilderness preparing what? The way of the Lord. 
the same Greek word for way in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 appears here in chapter 8, verse 27 of our text. And on the way, he, Jesus, asked his disciples, can you connect the dots? John prepares the way, the road, for Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus takes up that way, that road himself. Yes, we have seen that Mark has strongly accented the wilderness theme. Have we not? It is continually accented in that first section of his gospel. All the way to the present text. Jesus has lived the path that Isaiah forecasts, the way of straightness in his own wilderness journey, a journey that the disciples have accompanied, and the way, the road that the apostles and the church will endure in their own pilgrim journey in the future. At this point, what will happen now in Mark's gospel is that the wilderness theme will fade as Jesus focuses upon the one-to-one connection with his disciples as they together make their way to Jerusalem. Make their way to Jerusalem. Here, here, in this case, we see on the way to the capital of the dominant Gentile province of Caesarea Philippi, a city that bears the name in tribute to Augustus Caesar, Jesus in a beautiful green countryside in a state of retreat, ask the disciples literally, who do men say that I am? Verse 27. The response of the disciples is crucial on two levels. First, their response is a reference to what they have heard buzzing within Jewish quarters within the Jewish surroundings when they were there. They're not talking here concerning the Gentile quarters. And secondly, what do the disciples hear from the men of Israel? Well, each answer is equivalent to a human, godly prophet. Somehow John the Baptist has come back to the dead. On the other hand, perhaps Jesus is the return of Elijah, promised by the prophecy in Malachi. Or perhaps Jesus is just a typical human, godly prophet in the fashion of the Old Testament who has shown up on the present scene. 
Please do not pass over lightly Jesus' question and the disciples' response. The response he receives from the disciples is that the men of Israel are viewing him as merely a human godly prophet on a human level endowed with periodical special gifts and power. At this point, it is at this point, Jesus directly confronts the disciples. But who do you say that I am? Very personal. Who do you say that I am? You talk about turning the page. Will they answer with their fellow Israelites with a horizontal, earthly, human response? Just another human, godly prophet of the progressive revelation of God to Israel. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. Peter responds with a confession that shows an element of faith that a hardened heart is beginning to weaken his eyes are beginning to see dimly into the reality of Jesus's person and kingdom activity Peter responds within the vicinity of the capital of a province of the strongest empire in the known world at this time. More precisely, he responds in the vicinity of the city whose name telegraphs perhaps the greatest human emperor in Roman history, Augustus Caesar. To accent my point earlier, the setting here with Jesus and his disciples is not a coincidence. It is not by chance. The events in Jesus' way, his road on earth, is crafted carefully by his Father in heaven to convey a profound found revelatory truth about the supernatural hand of God designing every single circumstance in history. To Jesus' question, but who do you say that I am? You are about to hear out of the mouth of Peter a response in which no prophet in the Old Testament can compare. Not Moses, not Elijah, not Isaiah, not John the Baptist. A response in which the Roman Empire, Augustus and Herod Philip, cannot compare. Their empire and emperors are dust in the wind compared to the messianic 
eternal, supernatural, vertical, heavenly kingdom of Jesus Christ. Mark places Peter's confession as the pivotal point, the pivotal point in his entire gospel. It is the center, the axis of his gospel. Everything up until Peter's confession in 829 is in anticipation and evidence that Jesus is the long-expected Messiah of salvation since Adam's fall into sin. Moreover, everything that happens to the end to the end of Mark's gospel hinges on the reader's understanding, your understanding, assent and participation in faith, in faith to Peter's confession. Is that you? Is that you this morning? The central location of Peter's confession in Mark's gospel vibrates all the way back to the fall. And it vibrates all the way to Christ's second coming. Are you comprehending this? The central question of the history of the universe is addressing you right here this morning. Central question of the entire universe is addressing you here this morning. Will you confess that Jesus is the Christ, the final anointed ruler and king of all things visible and invisible? Will you confess that Jesus is the Christ, the final anointed priest who is both perfect priest and the perfect sacrifice for sin, for your sin. Everything dwelling, everything dealing with how you view the temporal existence of the universe. Everything dealing with human existence, everything concerning how you view the entire sinful state of humanity, your sinful state is totally dependent on how you respond to this question, to Jesus' question. What a wonderful question. For us to personally address in our own hearts as we begin the new year. And as we come to the table of our blessed Redeemer. 
Will you not once again, will you not once again, with the lips of your mouth and the spirit of your soul, participate, participate in Peter's confession. You are the Christ. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, the correct answer by your Spirit was given unto Peter. Your Spirit shines and your Spirit comes upon us this very day. And we are ones who rejoice that we also participate in the confession that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you have freed us from all our sin and given us the exaltation of life in him. In Christ's name, amen.